You're listening to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and today's episode is a little different, you guys. Matt, Emma, and I sat down for our normal weekly recording of the Spirit and Truth Podcast, and the conversation we ended up having was uh, different. It was a little unexpected. We always let the Spirit guide our conversations, but what ended up happening was kind of a an assessment of the moment of time that we are in as people in the church, as the church. It was kind of a Sons of Issachar kind of moment. And if you're not familiar with that passage of scripture in 1 Chronicles chapter 12, verse 32, the, the men of Issachar are described as knowing the times and knowing what Israel should do. And um, this is how we need to be right now. As people of the church in America, in the West, we need to understand the times that we're in. So it's a, it's a convicting conversation. It's a sobering conversation. It certainly was for us as we sat there. This is not something that we stand outside of. Um, every conversation we have on the Spirit and Truth podcast, we're speaking to ourselves. And um, we hope that it's something for you to think about. And yeah, let's just get into it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maggie Elmer, and we're going to have some introductions. I'm Matt Reynolds. I'm Emma Winchester. And we are here to have another conversation. Matt, what are we talking about today? Well, this is a topic that's um, perhaps a little bit heavier than some of our conversations, um, but we just felt like it was appropriate. We really want to talk about what what feels like a season of purification that's happening in the church right now. And, you know, if you're listening, you're part of a local church, and you read the news and you've just kind of witnessed what God has done and also just some of the evil stuff that has come about and kind of transpired uh, even within the church over the last number of years. What it seems seems to us is that we have been in a season now and are continuing in a season where God is really sort of revealing, bringing anything that's been in darkness, bringing it to the light. And um, we see this through just some of the rapid crashes of um, celebrity pastors. I mean, even just this last week, there was another story that came out about a particular church of, you know, some possible sexual abuse. And this is this is unfortunately not a new thing. We keep we've had a lot of these kind of stories. And of course, we've we've been through covid and. Um, people, many people leaving the church during that time. You have all the statistical decline in denominations, church attendance, on and on. I mean, I don't have to list all of this, this stuff, but it does feel like we have been in and are continuing in an amplified way in a season where God is kind of purifying his bride. And that um, that is both good and painful. Yeah. So the goal of the conversation is not to cast aspersions, is not to judge or condemn, but it is always helpful to acknowledge reality. That's wisdom. And also to, I think, ask the question, Lord, what are you doing? And what are the faithful ways in which we can participate? So I think, yeah. And I do think that there are, if we, we need to understand the times that we're living in mm-hmm. and when we're honest about sort of the, both the, sort of the cultural and spiritual moment that we find ourselves in 
it does help us to live intentionally. And I think we're in a time right now where Christians have to get really serious about how to approach these times in a very intentional way. And that has a lot of implications for how we do things at church, the way that we approach community, personal spiritual disciplines, all of those things. And so we can we can touch on all of that. But really, I think this is a conversation saying, let's understand the moment that we're in and how do we live in light of that? Amen. So where's a good place to start? <laughs> well, um, you know, I, I guess I can start and just share something that the Lord has kind of been impressing upon me recently. And I don't mean this to sound alarmist or uh, too negative, but I was just, I was recently at a pastor's retreat. Uh, I was out in Colorado with a number of um, pastors from around the country. And when I was praying early in the morning, one day I was waking up at the stupid hour because of time changes and all of that stuff. And I just was spending some concentrated time in prayer. I really sensed the Lord was speaking to me about kind of the season of life that we're in in the church. And in one particular place that he took me was um, in Revelation chapter 3 in the church, um, the letter to the church at Laodicea. And this is kind of a, if if you know that passage, it's a kind of a pretty harsh word. Um, I mean, I'll, I'll just read just a bit of it. It says, these are the words of the, the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And uh, my sense is, and you know, I know I know we have to approach scripture with nuance, and we understand the context and all of that. But I do really have the sense that, in some ways, the American church is experiencing a season of what it—I mean, this sounds harsh, I guess—but what it is to be spit out by the Lord. Yeah. You know, we've, um, this has been a hard season. And I think it comes on the heels of, I don't know, maybe a hundred years of American Christianity feeling pretty sort of secure and established. You know, if you rewind a little bit, you know, going back 1800s, I mean, Christianity sort of playing a pretty prominent role in American society, having a certain sort of um, accepted, even preferred status among people in our country. And to me, again, this is just my own sense of interpretation and what I'm hearing in prayer. It feels like we're in a season where we've been lukewarm for long enough sort of the the radical nature of discipleship had grown cold. And in the midst of that lukewarm season, uh, what we are experiencing now is what happens when the Lord sort of um, lets us have what we've chosen. Yeah, that's exactly right. I I mean, sometimes the nature of... um of God is for him to to give us over exactly to the 
the bad, even the bad thing that we, we keep saying that we want. Um, I was wondering if you could unpack a little bit of what you mean when you say the church has been spit out. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, there's a sense in which I got to be careful in how I say this because the church is the bride of Christ. Right. The Lord loves the church. Um, he desires good for the church. Ultimately, we know that the church will be victorious. I mean, we know that Christians will prevail in community with one another and that we will be united with Jesus for all eternity. I mean, those, these things are true. At the same time, I do think that there are seasons where I think we see this in the scriptures um, where the Lord sort of, it's not that he is not present, but he sort of, in in giving us what we want, it's like, it's like we are kind of outside of his covering. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I want to be careful how I say this because it's not like, I mean, we believe in the the Lord's omnipresence, like he's not disappeared, but it's like in some ways uh, he's in, a, in, in allowing us to choose so many other things that we prioritize above him, giving us the agency and just letting us sort of feel the consequence of that choice we start to experience the reality of what it is to live outside of his blessing. Yeah. I think it, it sounds like you're saying if, if we if we were to shrink this macro sort of narrative down to a micro one, it's, it's kind of like when you have a child and you're a parent and your child continues in disobedience, even though you've you've articulated the consequences or what the bad sort of fruit of that would be and they don't listen and they don't listen so then you finally just say you know maybe this is something you're only going to figure out if you just go ahead and experience it all the way to its end yeah and we that's right and we experience this in human relationship Mm -hmm. even with someone who loves us you know as unconditionally as is possible in a human way there is when you pursue a certain path that breaks relationship there is a sort of consequence to that and a distance that occurs that cannot be repaired until repentance happens. And um, I think that's a place where the church is at right now. Yeah. I I can't think of who it is who describes sin in terms of um, addiction, that, yeah. that as human beings we are addicted to sin. And so it's like the Lord is like, okay, well, I'm giving you over. Yeah. And I want you to notice, you know, the passage that I just read for us in Revelation 3, at the root of this issue is pride, really. Yeah. It says, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth and do not need a thing. So the church that's being described here, the the one that has grown lukewarm, is one who thinks that it has everything that it needs. And the problem is in in trying to live with only that which you can manufacture yourself, um, you are going to grow cold because we don't get like we can't produce the fire. Mm. So we're going to we're going to grow cold, and it's really pride that leads to this place of being spit out. 
And uh, it says, but, the, but you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And so, in fact, really, when in this kind of a season, I think you're kind of faced with two choices. You can continue down the path that has led you to the symptoms that you're experiencing, which is eventually death. I mean, you're, you're, you're walking down a path of darkness or you can come to your senses, recognize your own poverty and need for God and sort of come back. And that's the, the actually encouraging part of this passage because just a little bit down below there, you get this famous verse um, I'm going to read 19 and 20. You, we we talk about this verse a lot. A lot of times we talk about this verse with respect to unbelievers, but actually this is in a letter addressed to the church, which is interesting. It says in verse 19, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. See, that's the, that's the antidote, right? Acknowledge your own poverty. Re- recognize the Lord's rebuke for what it is and turn around, Mm -hmm. repent. And then it says in verse 20, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, it's not like the Lord has gone anywhere. He's saying like, I'm right here. Uh, I'm I'm shockingly close. Yeah. But at some point, you're going to have to acknowledge that you, that you need me, that you can't just keep rearranging the furniture inside the room without me. And you're going to have to repent and then open the door to my presence, right? And so I think this is, this is why, while this topic feels a little bit heavy and maybe it's like kind of like a downer, like, man, we are in a rough season. You know, Christianity is kind of in a difficult place where we're headed in North America, all this. It sounds harsh, but actually... I mean, this is this is actually a time, I think, of, yeah, we ought to be sober about it, but it's actually a time of great hope because the Lord only rebukes and disciplines those that he loves. Mm-hmm. And in allowing us to get to a place where we come to our senses, allowing us to reap sort of the, the harvest of sort of what we've sown of our own pride— in allowing us to experience that, it's actually a gift of grace because it's in that that we'll actually come to our senses, recognize our need for Him, repent, and then open the door to to allow His presence to to come in and give us what we need. So, this is an act of love from the Lord, and and that's why I think this is actually a hopeful time in the church because I know as we go around the country, more and more people that we meet are kind of having this come to your senses kind of moment where they're recognizing, you know what, all this stuff that we've been spinning our wheels doing and all this sort of stuff that we thought was so important in the church, you know what, I realize it doesn't really matter anymore. Like it's not really working. It was all about me and what looked good to us. I'm kind of like waking up to this, like we're hopeless without him. Well, guess what? That's the perfect place to be. That's exactly the place that the Lord is allowing us, you know, if we will see with spiritual eyes what's happening, that's the place that he wants us to get, to recognize how utterly desperate for him and his presence that we actually are. Because until we have that realization, 
we're just spinning our wheels on the road to death. Any thoughts here, Emma? Oh gosh. Um, I mean, it, it's, I always love to listen to you, Matt and you, Maggie, talk about, you know, the state of the church because you've been a part of the church much longer than I have. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that. That's we're like so old. No, <laughs> no. ancient ones. Okay. Okay. But it's so interesting um, because I trust your discernment and I trust the way that you guys hear the Lord and um, have seen the church kind of evolve in a way over the years and uh, where we find ourselves now. And so I'm listening listening to learn. And also I'm, I'm just thinking about like, you know, when I was uh, younger in um, – in youth group and uh, in like a fifth and sixth grade Bible study type of thing, I remember this term lukewarm being like one of the only things that we ever talked about, Mm. which was like almost like a warning. Like, don't be, don't let yourself become a lukewarm Christian. Don't, you know, like it was this huge, huge thing. And I'm just recalling that now as I'm sitting there, as I'm sitting here, because it's like, as I look around to my generation, it is very like hot or cold in a way where it's like, there are people who have obviously given themselves over to sin, given themselves over to evil, that type of thing. And then there are others who are like completely all in Christian. I'm not giving this up for anything. And I think it's because, I mean, I mean, at least I'm speaking very broadly and just from my perspective. I think it's because this idea of lukewarm was so pressed into me that that command to, you know, repent and believe and be zealous for his house is like ingrained in me. And it's true that like the Lord is allowing us to be prodigals as a church and individually and he will let us go off but there will be a moment where we say like i have come to my senses lord lord like i need you and so i don't know it's just interesting to hear you guys talk about this from your perspective and um how i've kind of experienced the church growing up and and even the way that even a few years ago when uh jenna and i would pray something that the Lord talked to us about right at the beginning was I'm cleaning my house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This idea that God is coming into the church and he's going to do construction. He's going to, you know, clear out the spaces that haven't been cleaned in years. He's going to, he's going to do that stuff and it'll be painful for people, but it'll be good. I think you've made an interesting connection there as well because, um, I don't know about you, Matt, but like I growing up, I'm just thinking, actually, I, I did not have the experience of of having this notion of lukewarmness pressed into me. And I think I could broadly say that's because when I grew up, the church was still in a period of, of relative cultural experiencing relative cultural favor. Yeah. It, it would not have been unusual for lots of people to attend church mm-hmm. and yeah casual christianity was pretty normative yeah that's what i'm thinking of 80s 90s like that was a time when kind of like you had these big that was like the rise of the mega churches those were starting to flourish 
denominations were still kind of like a you know a major player Mm -hmm. like certainly there were signs of decline there but like the church as an institution in our culture was in a much different place than it is right now. Yeah. And, and while the narrative of decline might have been happening at sort of like upper institutional levels or maybe in academia, it hadn't filtered down to like the, the church, local church level, the way it is now, like mm-hmm. a regular conversation yeah. for a lot of people. But so what's interesting to me, though, is I would say that your generation in general is sort of marked by a type of zealotry. Yeah, you know yeah. about all kinds of things and I would say I'm a Gen Xer and my generation is not marked by that I, w- I would say in fact we were we were sort of marked by broadly called slackers yeah. you know and so there's always been this kind of like we've had to work for our convictions I think culturally yeah. we've had to really press against what was cultural culturally accepted and mm-hmm. it's interesting yeah well, i think there's an era there where it was just sort of like it's in the water the so. ultimate thing is just sort of like pursuing comfort yeah, absolutely like just like i just like to have a nice comfortable life and uh get my way to retirement so that i can enjoy the fruit of my labor the lake know? home yeah. or the yeah and uh, one of the things that I'm actually encouraged by as you were kind of naming this is what I see in younger generations is much more like there's just zero interest in sort of that uh, casual Christian thing. Yeah. It's like you're either all in or you're all out. Yeah. And now you may be like, you have made more blatant kind of pursuits in witchcraft and new yeah, age right, stuff. Right. And, but like if you're going to do something, you're just kind of like all in on it. Yeah. And I actually think that's refreshing. And I think the Lord is using that Mm -hmm. um, because the ones that he is raising up, like yourself, are like, it's your approach is sort of like a prophetic, um, you know, I don't know what's the right word. Like it's it's a, a kind of confrontation. Yeah, it creates an your presence in the church creates uh, a necessary tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, that butts up against... It can be very uncomfortable <laughs> <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> for everyone involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's... But I think it's needed. Yeah. yeah. And it's part of how the Lord is shaking us out of this lukewarm state that we've been in. Um, I think the COVID stuff, obviously to me was a, another major factor in when churches, you know, so many of them shut down or moved to online and then seeing the, just the numbers in church after church that just never came back mm-hmm. or now, you know, are just rare attenders. Maybe that used to be, it kind of like, it was like, it's kind of worked like a sieve. Yeah. Sifting of, and that was, that was something that I think, I mean, I certainly heard a lot of that in prayer when um, during that sort of 2020, 2021, that the Lord was sifting. And so one of the things, one of the questions I have, and, and this is, you know, it's never good to pit generations against each other. I mean, it's, it's always really easy to do that, but, but I know that's not your heart, Emma, and it's, and it shouldn't be the heart of any generation to sort of be like, well... Well, because, I mean, 
from what I have experienced at my own local church and as we travel around to churches is I see the Lord like using, I mean, he has, has and is using the generations that have, that have come before me to help mature Mm -hmm. and disciple my generation that is just so like, go get them, you know, who cares about the consequences type of, you know, mentality. But then, um, you know, the Lord is also raising up my generation that is unwilling to settle, you Mm -hmm. know, and the thing that he is doing is he is making everyone utterly aware of who is the king and Mm -hmm. what is the kingdom of God. Yeah. And that's what has to be unified around so i feel like i i do want to like give a little bit more credit to the gen xers we weren't slackers in the sense that that we didn't care about anything it's that we were actively rejecting sort of the the sort of consumer uh corporate excesses of the 70s and 80s but anyway um one of the questions though for me that this brings up is is and i think I don't know, Matt, you probably have thoughts about this, but how how do we as a church recognize when the Lord is disciplining or correcting? Mm. Because it seems to me that that's something that we maybe don't always have a clear sense of. Yeah. Like, like in the local church, like when you're, yeah, how do you know? Well, um, that's a really good question. I don't know. I don't know that I can give you a a checklist sort of like self-test. Um, but I do think it requires spiritual discernment. And I do think there's going to be a growing awareness of like a recognition of your own limitations. Mm. Like, why is it that nothing works anymore? Why is it that the stuff that we've... This, you know, this used to work really well. Like we, we used to have a lot of people that came to this. Like, why is it, why does it just feel like nothing works? Why is it that our best efforts are not enough? You know, mm-hmm. um, why is it just that the people that I thought were committed just seem like they don't care anymore? You know, like now those are all things. I wouldn't say that instantly means that, that God is disciplining you, but he sort of, he's allowing you to spiritually perceive the reality, which may have been there for a while, but you're like, I think what is happening right now is sort of like the stuff that you can see is starting to come into alignment with that which already was spiritually, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's like the thing that was true sort of the spiritual malaise that was already there is now sort of manifesting itself in physical ways through real people and real dysfunction and collapses within the church and all of that stuff. Um, and we have to, I think we just have to to pay attention to that. Um, so does that answer your question? Not I, really. You no, know, I think so. I mean, I think that that that's exactly right i mean the other thing that i've thought quite a bit about is that from what you were saying earlier when you're reading the the passage from revelation it seems to me that 
when we're growing, there's always going to be some degree or level of correction because growth implies uh, making mistakes. And, Mm -hmm. and so I, the thought I keep having is, is, is to always be discerning, Lord, where are you guiding? Where are you correcting? And that if I discern that there's no correction, that that's actually maybe not a good thing. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> that's absolutely not a good thing. I mean, if just think about it in terms of human parenting. Right. The fact that when when a parent is, and there are, you know, there's some really sad situations like this. When a parent is so uninvolved that there's no correction of any kind, that's a, that's a, that's where a lot of trouble happens. Yeah. That's where things really turn out badly. But a loving parent always brings discipline. I mean, because a child needs it. Yeah. Like, they don't yet know that which is going to hurt them. And you can't, uh, if just left to their own devices, they do stupid stuff. I mean, I did as a kid. Mm-hmm. That's, oh, yeah. what, that's what we do. We do things that we don't even realize how bad the consequences are going to be for for ourselves. W- whatever. When it, like... You know, we're messing with the stove or, you know, <laughs> playing with a knife Matches. or whatever. I mean, like, there's things that, like, could legitimately hurt us that if a parent doesn't correct us or rebuke us in the moment, we're going to seriously hurt ourselves. Well, I think the same thing is true spiritually. Like, it's actually an act of love that God sort of brings us an awareness. No, this is not right. Mm-hmm. Wake up. Or you're going to seriously hurt yourself, maybe beyond, you know, yeah. to the point that you're not even able to to hear me anymore and willing, you know, able to come back. And so this is this is what a good father does. Mm-hmm. I, I wonder if we, you know, I was just jotting down as we were talking. I think maybe we shift the conversation a little bit now. So what? Right. You know, we've kind of like, I think we've. We've talked through this a good bit, and it's painted the bleak, <laughs> bleak picture. Uh, everyone, all two people that are still listening at this point, uh, we, you know, let's say something, you know, encouraging to them. Um, so, how do we, how do we live in light of this reality? Given, given this reality, um, I don't know. A couple of things that I just. We'll just kind of go around, but I I wrote down a number of things. Uh, The first thing I wrote down is that we have to get really serious about holiness. Mm -hmm. Yep. I mean, if if this isn't clear to this point, I don't know what's going to get your attention. Everything done in the darkness in the church will come to light. That is the truth. And whatever you think you can hide you cannot hide from the Lord. And so this pretend sort of like put on a great show, do the great church product, and then have a a secret life or a personal life that is not full of integrity and synced up with your public persona, the Lord is allowing all of that to be crucified. Mm -hmm. And so very practically the church has got to get serious about holiness again individually and corporately and that means taking sin seriously 
that means practical things like if you're not in a in community with other people where you regularly confess sin you you have to be as a christian i think that there's this idea that that because the lord is because god is such a good father that he would never sort of um sort of remove something from us but um and in some senses this is true but i think in other senses as you're talking about holiness something that's just been in my like a like a bumper sticker in my head is this this phrase holiness before power or holiness before authority and and it's interesting we just recorded a podcast the other day and pete said it out loud dr Pipolini, and it kind of was surprised me i was like oh it's been in my head mm-hmm. um anyway the thing is is the lord gives gifts and they're good gifts but he's also seeking trustworthy agents in the world trustworthy vessels in the world and um you know scripture tells us that he gives things but to even even those who have been given a little will have that and then everything else taken from them if they're not stewarding or participating in the lord's will in in the way that he sees fit now he's patient and not as human beings are patient he's patient in the most eternally gracious way that we cannot even begin to comprehend but again for our own good he will sort of hamper us uh okay i'm gonna do something kind of weird but i just as we were sitting here i feel like i am supposed to say this i feel like someone that's listening to this podcast is um and maybe actually i think multiple persons listening to this podcast are dealing with real sexual sin that nobody knows about and you just need to talk to someone. You have to tell a brother or sister about this. And this is not about condemnation. The Lord doesn't want to condemn you. He wants to set you free. And you are like living in a prison right now. And unless you get free from that prison, nothing else is going to work. So if you're a ministry leader right now and you're hearing me say these words, please take this as a a warning of genuine grace and love from the Lord that he wants you to be free and it's time. It's time to talk to somebody about that. Do you want to pray? Yeah, I'll pray. I'll pray for that. I'm sorry, it just came over me real. Like I just felt this deep conviction that someone needs to hear that. So Lord, um, we pray that you would do what you've always done and set the prisoners free. And we pray for deep courage uh, for someone that's listening right now who um, who maybe feels haunted like they can't get, they just cannot get free of this thing in their life and they've been dealing with it in isolation and in darkness for a long time. And we thank you, God, that you're a God of grace and mercy and that you love us so much that you don't want to leave us in a prison and that you do want to set us free by the power of your Holy Spirit. And so, God, I pray for courage to name that thing out loud and uh, to walk out freedom in in your power and in your grace. And so um, just intervene, we pray, and lead this person on on the way of life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Matt. That was good. I'm not sure if we've ever done that exactly on a podcast before, but I just felt it felt like I had to. So. No, I don't think we have. But I mean, I I think we all know that that's very real. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and much more common. Yeah, than yeah. People realize. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
Absolutely. Um, so we talked about pursuing holiness. Yeah. What are some other things? I have more things, but I don't want to go through all my stuff. What are some other implications that you would say, given the, the reality of the times that we're living in, so how do we live? I mean, I think there, I mean, we've, this, we've talked about this so many times in so many different manners and venues, but people have to be serious about confession and repentance. And, and, and I would say really, really reflect on what is worldly sorrow and what is godly sorrow until we can view our sin in the same way that God views our sin it will be very hard to be free. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be very hard to actually experience full freedom too. And to know the, the, the depth of the grace that is given when we're constantly repenting for, in some senses, just being caught, <laughs> you know, rather than yeah. saying, I, I wish to turn from this. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's like we're, our, our freedom is it's intermittent it's it's temporary so yeah. i would say that just meditating on lord how do you see this and how do you see me and how you know free me for that o- obedience and faithfulness yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah i mean we we also talk about this all the time but spiritual disciplines, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are the things that like our guardrails are things that keep us on track, are things that keep our eyes upon Jesus. And there's nothing more important than that, you know, yeah. abiding in him and him abiding in us. And that is where holiness comes from by beholding the Holy One, you yeah. know, he makes us holy. And so, you know, when we don't pray, when we don't read scripture, when we aren't in community, when we don't practice repentance and confession, when, when we don't go to worship, when we don't do these things, I mean, it's just like the enemy is taking piece by piece the things that keep us armored and the, the things that keep us, you know, secure in him. So it's good. So in one of those disciplines that I just want to highlight, especially is prayer. Yeah. Like this is a season, if prayer has not been a priority for you, it has to be in the days ahead. And I think the church has to get serious, not just individually, but like how do we corporately get serious about prayer? Because prayer is the place uh, where we meet God. Yeah. Prayer is the place where um, where we repent. You know, prayer is, I mean, prayer is, is the lifeblood of the church. And so... That's, I think that is one of the things that has been neglected. The place of prayer in the church is one of the things that has been neglected in this lukewarm season. Mm-hmm. And so now that we're sort of experiencing the fallout of that, that's one of the things that has to get picked up again. Um, another thing that I wrote down was um, the importance of community and spiritual family. Um, I know I really sensed this last week when I was with those pastors that, and I, you know, shared this with them. It's not going to get any easier <laughs> to get, be a Christian no. in the days to come. And that's, we're not made to journey through this Christian life alone. I mean, we can say that and people know that in theory, but you've, we've got to be very intentional about that. Like if you're going to, 
stand firm and, you know, stand up with new levels of courage and boldness for the Lord in the days to come. It's going to, it's going to take the encouragement and sort of the, the strength that comes from linking arms with other people. And so Mm -hmm. we've got to not just hope that that happens. We've got to pursue it with intentionality. Yeah. I would say too, we really need to know what the truth is. And I know that's kind of a vague statement, but there's a sense of, and, and maybe another way to say it is we have to, I think, be willing to adopt an entirely gospel-centered worldview. Right. Because without it, we're going to always rationalize and justify things that we shouldn't or, or and, and even, you know, forget sin for a second. I think it will become increasingly important to not justify fear or or entertain deceptions um and we just need to know that that what scripture says is true that is is that when we find ourselves in positions where we need to give a defense of the faith that the holy spirit will fill our mouths with the things that need to be said and when we find ourselves in situations where um you know, we may find ourselves under under attack from critics or, or um, being viewed unfavorably for our faith that we need to believe that it is a, a joy to suffer for the Lord and that he will continue to provide for us. Um, I mean, I know that sounds, you know, dramatic, but these are real things that I think we're seeing creep into, you know, the edges of our culture. It's I never thought I would see this, but there it is. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Um, one other thing I wrote down that I think, especially, uh, you know, I'm thinking about ministry leaders in particular, but both lay folks and pastors. Um, I think we, this is a time, given given this reality, where we have to get very intentional about making real disciples more than just gathering crowds. Because casual Christians, crowds, they're not going to make it. That's not going to last. We've, we've already seen that, right? Those will come and go. And so to the point of like where it's costly to us, and by that I mean to the point that sometimes we sacrifice the acclaim that comes with gathering crowds, sacrifice the instant gratification that comes with building things that look good in the moment in ministry. We've got to be willing to lay that stuff on the altar um, it, if it means that we can at least just make a few real disciples who by that I mean like Jesus <laughs> like to the point that of people rate you know investing in people to the point that they're willing to die for the vision of Jesus mm-hmm. and that's I mean that's what Jesus did on his time on earth you know he certainly spoke to the crowds but he invested in the few and I think this is a time we have to get back to that um, because if those, I mean, this sounds like I'm, I just, I feel very strongly like this urgency from the Lord to say, no, we've got to call people to real discipleship. Pick up your cross, sacrificial discipleship, because that's the only thing that's going to last. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. And I just, I don't know, I just heard this and Matt, you can tell me and we can always edit it out if it's complete garbage, but I'm just wondering what you think about this. Um, I just feel like I'm hearing too that people our age your your age my age and older you know there's a sense of sort of like 
in ministry, working to establish a platform and a career and to build a career. And I just lately have been feeling like, forget that. Yeah. That is not the work. The, yes. the work really, really is to, is to seed the ground for whatever is coming next to see the ground for, and by whatever is coming next, I mean, really it's just future generations of the church yep. and to just for crying out loud, quit thinking about yourself. Just, yes, just like you're saying, pour into the people in front of yeah. you and realize that the laborers are few. The harvest is huge. Yes. We have got to just get out of our own way. Yes. A hundred percent. I agree with that. Careerism has been, a cancer in the church and that is dying and praise the Lord any last remnants of that are going to die in the years to come and um, I mean I think that's part of the reckoning the people that we thought so successful in so many cases yeah. are the ones whose platforms have crumbled mm -hmm. in a matter of moments and uh, there we have got to get to a place of vocational ministry as an exercise in self-sacrifice yeah you know serving the bride yes and it's you know i was i i mentioned this earlier i'm not gonna mention names i was in a uh, small country church last weekend and it was it was about 40 people it was beautiful it was it was kind of messy and some of the technology didn't work right and all of that. But you know what? These were real people who were hungry for Jesus because they've been led by someone who keeps just pointing them to Jesus over and over and over again and is very real and authentic with them and doesn't play games, doesn't just placate the nice programs, whatever has been done for the last 50 years. Like he just keeps pointing them to Jesus. And what there was a real tangible sense of the Spirit's nearness in that service. And... You know what I thought this is what this is what churches are going to look like more going forward. They may not be they're not going to be flashy or impressive to the world, but they're going to be pockets of real Christians who are just going after Jesus all together saying like whatever it is, we just need Jesus. And those are the kind of churches that are going to last. The the stuff that's built on a thousand marketing techniques and building a brand those things uh, have been and will continue to crumble and um you know <laughs> in this particular church is led by uh, a guy that i that i admire a lot who has done a lot of really beautiful things for the church written books all of that stuff very accomplished and yet he is in a very sacrificial way just serving a church in the middle of nowhere in order to lead those people, those 40 or 50 people to Jesus. And, you know, and they're reaching new people and all of that, but n nobody knows about that. Nobody cares in the, in, in the big scheme of things. And yet he's doing it because it honors the Lord. And that's the kind of pastors that we're going to need ministry leaders uh, going forward. The ones that don't care about their own name. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the Lord honors that. And, um, man, when you have leaders like that, the kingdom of God breaks out. Anything to say, Emma? Um, I have a scripture that I could read to close us off. Do it. All right. This is from um, Hebrews chapter 12. 
At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Amen. That has been our podcast for today. We are grateful for our listeners. And... We're glad to be in the body of Christ with all of you and doing the work of the kingdom with you. We'll come back to you in the next conversation.